My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Gabe Wilson. If you care at all about diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, if you care at all about what it means to navigate skillfully and meaningfully intergroup conflict towards resolution, towards connection, towards new possibility, then this conversation is for you. Gabe is the founder of Developmental Design. He's a leadership coach and organizational consultant, and he specializes in diversity and inclusion efforts. He also is the co-author of the book, Compassionate Conversations, How to Speak and Listen from the Heart. If you have been around with the Wonder Dome for a while, then you heard episode 25, my interview with Kim Lowe. Kim co-wrote the book with Gabe and also with Diane Musho-Hamilton. I had so much fun with this one. We dove in right where my conversation with Kim ended, which is this beautiful recognition that at the heart of conflict, there is intimacy. There is the possibility for discovering new territory and new ground for what brings us together. But we only get there by understanding what makes us distinct. So Gabe works deeply with the question of how do we how do we own and embody and inhabit our truth, our personal truth, our cultural truth, our lineage, our history, while also meeting someone else, the other, quote unquote, the other on the other side, who has their own personal truth and their own cultural truth and their lineage and their history. And how do we bring those two universes of lineage and history together in the form of people meeting and, and, and diverse and complex groups? So he actually offers training around this. It's called Freedom and Fairness. And we explore what it means to cultivate freedom and fairness in group contexts. This is a, just a badass conversation. I really can't wait for you to hear it. Hmm. So... Let's get settled in and hear what Gabe has for us. Hey, Gabe. How are you, Andy? Yeah, doing well. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Hey, man. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> it's really good to have you. This is this is our this is take two. We tried this back in in 2020. It's now early uh, 2021, and and the internet connection was pretty poor, so we we punted. And I'm really. Uh, you're actually, this is the first conversation I'm having for the new year, and I'm really okay. excited to, to kick it off with you. So cool, man. we'll see where we go as I kind of work out, work out the rest and get back into it here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, for the invitation, for hosting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing this. Yeah. It's really, really awesome to have you because uh, as my, my listeners will have heard in the intro, you co-wrote the book, Compassionate Conversations with Kim Lowe, who also came on as a guest. And that was such a beautiful conversation. She's a remarkable human being. And, and I sort of had the good fortune just because I think you and I are like, you're sort of existing in places that I'm looking to. I'm like, Oh, I want to learn from those kinds of people. And then I look in that direction and, and there's Gabe Wilson. I want to, I like want to read more about this stuff. And I look in that direction and there's Gabe Wilson. I'm like, Oh, all right, cool. I really should try and talk to this guy. And I'm really, really appreciate that you said yes. Thank you, man. It's, it's uh, funny and humbling to think that maybe um, I'm in more than one places that I'm somehow bumping into you to make this happen. So it's, it's fun. It's um, humbling 
mm-hmm. in a way that the reputation is preceding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the three places that I've, I'm noticing are like, there's sort of this like life design place. Yeah. You know, there's the whole famous course at Stanford, which I know mm-hmm. you're involved in. And so there's sort of like this kind of well of creativity and design thinking, which, which is really exciting stuff. And then there's this sort of adult developmental theory, human development, kind of states of consciousness. I think you do some work in Zen, right? Like there's that whole kind of like developmental and spiritual space. And then there's this whole space around kind of fairness and freedom and the work mm-hmm. you're doing to, to, to take, at least how I'm receiving it, it seems to me that you're sort of inviting people who really care about justice and equity and inclusion to step even deeper into that space uh, in a way that maybe transcends and includes some of the core ideas there, but actually opens it up into even deeper levels of, of fairness and freedom. So Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. Yes. To all of that, please. (laughs) Yeah, man. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So this is kind of a cool moment because uh, you're the first, you're the first co-author of a book that I've interviewed where I've had a chance to talk to another co-author first. And so so without any expectation that you you pin yourself to Kim's worldview, but but just rather that you, at the very least, the, the two of you, along with, with Diane Hamilton, spent time in this creative crucible, making this awesome book, Compassionate Conversations. Like I sense that, that maybe we can mm-hmm. start where I ended with Kim and then see where that takes us. Does that sound good? 100%. Yo, whenever you want to pin me to Kim Lowe, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, so the spot we ended in, which really touched me, was she shared this insight that at the heart of conflict Mm -hmm. uh, is what she described as intimacy. Like that Mm -hmm. there is the possibility where we might look from the sort of outside looking in, we're seeing two people or two groups or two nations or whatever. You know, maybe we'll just even start with two people. We From the outside looking in, we see two people who are defining themselves by how they're different and by the stake they want to claim on whatever the issue at hand is. Mm-hmm. And, and Kim is sort of invited in our conversation, invite us into this idea that, that in the space between those two people, there's actually possibility for real deep intimacy and connection and knowing, even yeah. though they're, they see themselves and, or see the person across from them as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I wonder like what that brings up in you, just that possibility, what that evokes for you in your own journey how you yeah, might start totally. to talk about that. Totally. Well, I think it's, it's a, it's a provocative yeah. statement and insight, the sense that there's an intimacy available to us and potential if we were to enter conflict and I love it. And I think there are two things that come up for me in terms of two things that are related to, or may actually be the core ingredients to that intimacy, which is to be found. So Hmm. let's just take a step back even before we enter conflict and let's just look at the human being. Great. Um, There are many things that drive us, right? There, There are two that particularly I want to draw attention to, which is, one, there's just a drive, I think, to be in touch with what's true. There's a drive in us to attune to that which is relevant mm. to our lives, to our being, right? Mm. So I'm calling that truth, right? The desire to have a revelation about what's relevant to a human being, mm. that drive, aka truth, the drive towards truth. I think is part of the ingredient and I'll connect it to conflict in a second. So there's that one truth. The other one is, I think it's just this desire for self transcendence Mm. to actually grow beyond the current contours, powers, capabilities, points of view, emotional depths that I can feel. There's a desire for that. Mm. And so when I look at conflict and, and Kim's injunction, I think conflict provides both of those things. If you mm. were to enter conflict, it provides an opportunity to be more in touch with a deeper, more complex, more nuanced truth 
And I'll explain that in a second. And I also think it offers for sure. I think we can all attest to this conflict offers us the opportunity to transcend ourselves in conflict in the sense that I'll get provoked. My habitual defenses will come online and there's a pretty clear patterned path that (laughs) I end up in with my conversations. If I were to indulge in all those defensive patterns, it's probably (laughs) a dead end. Right. But if I were to show up differently and make a choice, I actually might find myself in completely new territory, feeling new things, doing interpersonal moves. I might be asking a question that I've never asked before. Mm. That if I actually allowed myself to sit in the discomfort of the conflict emerges, right? So conflict on the truth side of the street, like if you and I were to enter conflict right now, I would register that moment of anxiety, defensiveness, Hmm. threat as an opportunity. Cognitively, I would just try to soothe myself and be like, hold it. You know, this is an opportunity. Hmm. And I know it's an opportunity because typically if we're in conflict, it means that one of our worldviews, one of the points of view that we're taking is pretending to be the whole truth. Hmm. Right. Mm. When conflict is a signal that like, I actually might be overstretching here on my point of view. There actually might be something outside my point of view that I'm not relating to. And I'm not including as quote unquote, what's true or what's happening. Mm. So conflict to us is a signal that there is a truer, more nuanced, more complex apprehension of the situation available should we choose to go there Mm. and we can talk about why we may not want to go there (laughs) but that's what conflict signals to us is like there's an there's a larger truth here that's available to you should you want to step into it Mm. on the growth side of the street um i don't think i need to say much besides we all have our habitual patterns we all have our upbringing our childhood family of origin, we've all been sculpted in certain ways to relate to threat. And there's nothing wrong with those patterns. They have served us then in certain ways and they serve us now. But the fact that they might be applied in every situation Mm. just simply Mm. limits us. Mm. Right. And that's where we get curtailed Mm. In our aspiration, I think our inherent drive to self-transcend. Should we self-transcend and should we enter into more truth? I think those are two really powerful ingredients for intimacy Mm. through conflict. Mm. Yeah. Man, there's so much in there. Let me just sit for a minute and see what I want to. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) You know, I'm noticing that there are. There's a, a tension or maybe a conflict between those two, 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 or there could be a tension or conflict between those two desires or those two poles. And, and the sort of tragedy of, of sort of not noticing the opportunity, the call towards more complexity or truth or nuance, or maybe actively even avoiding it, perhaps not consciously, but still there's an avoidance there. And then going into our default patterns, it's like this, like there's a way in which a default pattern becomes our, our way of checking for truth. I can't trust Gabe. And I go into my default pattern of defensiveness and, 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 in being defensive, I prove to myself that I can't trust you because you're responding to my defensiveness with defensiveness. And it's like, got it. There's the truth. Yeah. I'm back. Gabe's an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. Gabe's an asshole. Got it. Like I was sort of just. So, so there's like this beautiful invitation in conflict that's possible mm-hmm. and it's so easy to sidestep it or miss it or kind of like fold backwards instead of unfold and yes. open to it. And I, yeah. so maybe you could play with that. Like, what does it look like you have that you have identified in yourself a capacity, which is maybe online a lot or online often or online sometimes where, where mm-hmm. conflict is coming, your defenses come up and you go, wait. This could be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You have that, you've identified that capacity in yourself. 
what if I don't have that capacity? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like how yeah. are, how are you starting to help me dance with you as opposed to just like folding sure. back in and, and, and not meeting you there? Totally. Great question. So speaking to the self-transcendence bit and this touches into one of the themes that you highlighted and is one of the ways in which we found each other, which is adult development. Adult developmental psychology is the study of how human beings are literally growing. Mm. Right? You mentioned that you have two kids mm. um, to me before we kind of started recording and they're tiny, five months, three years old. At that age, the developmental growth that they're doing is self-evident. They're physically growing. <laughs> There's just no doubt, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, psychologically, something is very clearly happening. And without even getting into the more nuanced and complex things, which we can get into, but just to make the point, language, like just they're goo goo gaga in the beginning. And all of a sudden they're saying, daddy, I love you. Can you get me my apple pudding, please? <laughs> like something just happened. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the developmental achievements are so self-evident at these earlier ages. And I think at least before I encountered adult developmental psychology, I thought that once I stopped growing and I achieved quote unquote young adulthood, that was kind of it. There would be, a, mm. there was a plateau, basically. I could mm. learn more information, but there wasn't going to be any categorically earth shattering achievements psychologically, like the superpower mm. of going from Ugu Gaga to like speaking full sentences. Like that's a huge leap in capacity. I thought there was just a plateau, but adult developmental psychology basically says, no, human beings as adults keep going through these massive transformations. They just take a little longer to bake thoroughly. Mm. Mm. So with that in mind, um, we are fluid, flexible, maturing, potentially maturing beings, right? And so we can mature in our capacity to be in conflict, right? Mm. And not default to those patterns. Mm. So, the most important thing is, I would say is, like, <laughs> in terms of setting boundaries, let's go with that. That's like okay. a, just a simple example of a conflict. Yeah, that's a good one. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Instead of sets, like setting a huge boundary, like let's say there's just been this family dynamic where you know, you're trying to make it, you're a child in the system. You're trying to make it on your own, trying to differentiate from the family system. And then there's all these patterns that might be trying to like keep you in the family system. Mm -hmm. It might be, Hey, do you have some money? Can you lend it to me? But, mm -hmm. and that person might be a parent and you're like, dude, I mean, I guess I can lend it to you, but that doesn't feel quite right. Cause I can barely make it on my own right now. Mm -hmm. But that's a big boundary to say, be like, you know what, mom or dad or uncle or whoever, nah, I got to take care of myself. I'm not going to give you money. You got to figure it out. Like that's a big boundary to set. <sighs> to work your way up to setting those big boundaries, maybe, you know, you're here and we actually started this call with a meditation. Yeah. And you said, hey, Gabe would you be down to meditate before we start talking? Or do you want to just dive in and talk? Right. I might be more accommodating. I actually might not want to sit and I actually might tell you, yeah, let's sit just because I don't want to ruffle your feathers and be different from you by saying, mm. nah, Andy, I'm good. I don't, I don't mm. really like the whole sitting thing. Let's just talk, <laughs> you know? there are opportunities for us to just test out boundaries in really low stakes ways. Yeah. And so my advocacy would be to relate to conflict in that same way. Like, yeah, pick a fight over something like super innocuous <laughs> and just have a commitment and we can explore and unpack this for your audience so we can actually be deliberate in what we're practicing, but have a commitment to practice certain things in mm. that super low stakes conflict mm. so that when you're actually met with a conflict that really matters to you, that you might have attachments that you really are tied to the outcome that you want. And it's being threatened because of this conflict. You'll be more prepared mm -hmm. if you've built your way up. 
Mm. Yeah. So that as you share that, um, I'm remembering uh, something else Kim shared, which is sort of these three sort of common dynamics of conflict or sort of common patterns of relating to conflict, which I think we're like, avoid, accommodate, or or be aggressive, right? Yeah, and and exactly. so you sort of alluded to like, well, if I'm kind of being accommodating, I'll, I don't really want to meditate, but like, oh, okay, I'll do it. And then there's sort of like, in a way, without without me being aware of it, now there's like a tiny seed of conflict that's been then it's been planted. And then I'm imagining we're in relationship for you know six months, a year, and it's like, okay, Gabe, time for a daily meditation. I do not want to fucking meditate anymore. I Andy. Just, I just snap on you. Yeah, like there's like a like, and yeah. so there's sort of this like I think there's that classic. That's a classic pattern I've experienced that I see a lot of other people mm-hmm. go through, which is like avoid, 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 mm-hmm. or accommodate, 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 and then aggress because they mm-hmm. just like it's like pop right and at that point Mm -hmm. the other person is maybe they've also been avoiding a comedy and they've got something building or maybe they haven't Mm -hmm. but it's just like boom like Mm -hmm. it's sort of the the opportunity that you're inviting Mm -hmm. us into becomes much further like just becomes a lot harder to reach Mm -hmm. and so what i'm hearing you saying is like start to get in touch with what do you usually do yeah. And then find something that's not as important to you, like a boundary between you and your parent, let's say, which would mm-hmm. clearly be one of the most, like for most of us, a very like, okay, that's scary. But, mm-hmm. but if a boundary matters to you, I'm hearing you say practice setting boundaries in a way yeah. that's a little bit uncomfortable for you. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It's a great way to start. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in terms of the listeners, I can take myself back to moments where I've set a boundary and the moment just before setting that boundary, just before I was able to push through a certain discomfort, the discomfort is an embodied physiological discomfort. Yeah. Oftentimes, if I think back, there's not a whole lot happening cognitively. I'm just like mm. overwhelmed with anxiety. Mm. And that's the thing keeping me from actually setting the boundary. Mm. So from a physiological point of view, attending to the physiology Hmm. in conflict is a great place to start and just notice, choose one of those low stakes conflicts and notice, don't change. Don't try to change anything, but just notice what happens for you physically and emotionally as Hmm. you're starting to engage the conflict, as you're in the conflict, just notice what happens. Low Hmm. stakes, right? Low stakes, meaning, you can just very quickly turn the conflict off. Mm. Right. Mm. It's like you can just diffuse it really quickly. It doesn't matter. You can literally disengage from the person, right? You mm. might want to, you know, someone cuts in front of you in line at Starbucks and you can like choose to, you know, do something or you can just choose to let it go. Like just do something, just try it out, do something. Hey, you just cut in line and then feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah like, that's great because i'm already like woo yep there's some there's some physiological response there exactly yeah. right and then you can choose like that's eh, okay so and so feel free I'm, I'm good right you can turn it off but allow yourself the opportunity to play with low stakes conflicts and notice the physiological reactions mm-hmm. right and as mm-hmm. soon as we start to notice something we start to have an influence over that thing so just even the act of noticing of naming ooh, i feel a clenching in my jaw I feel sweaty palms coming online. Mm. If you actually clench fits, maybe. And then go to the feeling sense of like little jittery, like you can almost call it anxiety. Mm. Um, fear might be there. Mm. Right? Just like start to name these things. As you name them, neuroscience shows that you actually have a regulating effect mm. on those sensations and feelings. So you're already doing work. And so what I'm saying is once you get good at noticing and then cueing yourself, maybe through the breath, if you want to add a little bit more just to, in addition to the naming, you can add the breath to start regulating even more and just return your body to that sense of safety. I'm safe. I'm in a Starbucks. Like what's the most that can happen rationally? Probably not much. Hmm. They'll be, I'm sorry. And they'll probably like go to their place in line or they might actually have it out with you. Like I have to go. I'm late whatever doesn't matter the the experience is for you to give yourself a physiological sense of safety yeah so that you can actually socially engage mm. um 
and, and do it from a, and not do it from a place of defensiveness. Does that make sense? Totally. What I'm, um, what I want to underline, because I'm not sure if I've actually ever heard anyone say it quite in the way you just said it, that the, that the, like, it's almost like there's sort of physiologically things can feel really fuzzy. It's just like, right because because as you said the cognitive goes offline so actually you're not only you're really not, you're feeling sensation and you're feeling emotion or what might be described mm-hmm. as emotion after the fact mm-hmm. but you're just in a reactive state mm-hmm. and and it's in a way are you saying like as best as you're able bring some of that cognitive awareness back online so that you can look at the fuzzy the heat the intensity mm-hmm. and start to see it in higher fidelity Mm-hmm. and start to kind of tease apart like the sweaty palms from yeah. from the jittery emotion and and that that process alone mm-hmm. is work that the naming and the articulation and the high fo- the higher fidelity resolution awareness of what's going on for you yep. already has changed has has taken you out of a default pattern and yep. you now have more bandwidth than you had before exactly more yeah. choice yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Thank you for that. Really helpful. But I, so now I want to push a little bit on, on your, on your Starbucks example, because actually I think that there's a, it's a great example. And I think there's also a part of me that goes, yeah, but is that really true in America right now? (laughs) Like, cause there's, there's an intensity collectively, Mm -hmm. at least here, at least that I'm interpreting from the kind of like, national the sort of i don't know what we're gonna call it the national spirit the national kind of mm-hmm. or lack of spirit right I, you know like yeah. so whatever we mean by that word but there's just like very polarized yeah, yeah mm-hmm. very polarized but also there's sort of a sense that it's a bit of a tinderbox mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i don't know how much of that sense is actually what's creating the polarization it's almost like mm-hmm. there's like mm-hmm. a lot of accommodating accommodating avoiding avoiding and then popping happening uh-huh. everywhere uh-huh. <laughs> all yeah. over Right. Mm-hmm. And so you could, so I could actually imagine a scenario. And so again, like anyone listening, you know, we're not, uh, you have to choose what's low stakes for you. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not here giving you authorization to go out and, and harass someone <laughs> at Starbucks. Right. But like, you could just imagine a scenario where, um, where actually the conflict reaches a level of intensity that, that way is way outsized the, uh, the stakes that are actually at hand. And I wonder mm-hmm. if like, maybe, we, so maybe we could just shift gears a little bit and talk a bit about how you're, how you're sort of leaning into what's going on collectively right now. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what I'm experiencing as this gap between what's at stake in some cases mm-hmm. versus how people respond in either direction. Sometimes the stakes seem really high and no one seems to respond. And other times mm-hmm. the stakes aren't that high and people mm-hmm. lose their shit and like, mm-hmm attack each other and so mm-hmm. there's just this like crazy fluctuation that i'm, mm-hmm. I'm tuning into and i wonder how mm-hmm. you've been sitting with that and yeah. working with that yeah uh i have a lot of questions about it i don't have any answers i think so for example uh, i'll just share so the freedom and fairness work that i've done that's the name of the workshops that I was holding prior to COVID and the pandemic. And the intention of freedom and fairness workshops was to explore for those that were interested in exploring the question of how do we build bridges Mm. across these differences or in the context of the Tinder box that you use the metaphor for. And one of the differences at the time that I was exploring was particularly around race. I was, I was in my own inquiries about it. And so what I did was curated a space where we had 50% of the room was white identifying people. And then the other 50% were people of color, Hmm. predominantly black, but there were other identities in there as well. And even though everyone said yes to the workshop's intention, which was we're all interested in Mm. figuring out Mm. how to build bridges and get outside of the conventional dialogue that we see out there, which is very us and them, very group thinky, very polarizing, Mm. doesn't really entertain a lot of gray. Mm -mm. They all had that aspiration. 
But then when it came down to it, interestingly enough, they couldn't, they, they actually collapsed into the very thing that they were curious of getting out of, which was they collapsed into groupthink, they collapsed into polarity, they collapsed into wow. demonizing the other side. Um, and what happened for me as a facilitator was that, and this is for your listeners, as a facilitator, your main role is to make things easy, to make mm. facile, to make, to facilitate. Mm. And in the spirit of that, to be neutral. So you can't be seen as taking sides. Otherwise you lose half of the room in that scenario. Right. So what was happening for me was that I was the, the people of color were pissed and feeling that the white people weren't taking up responsibility for certain things, right? Weren't acknowledging certain things. It could have been slavery. It just, there's been so many conversations, but the big cultural themes, they weren't acknowledging it sufficiently. Um, and I noticed that I started to kind of feel that way too. Mm. So I started to get a little um, biased towards the people of color. And then my co-facilitator, Diane, she said, Hey, you know, like definitely challenge the white people, but you're presenting yourself in front of the room consistently as if you're really more for the people of color. Mm. So I also feel like you're losing the white people. Mm. Mm. Um, I said, okay, shit. So I swung, I kind of overcompensated and then really connected with the white people, but also wasn't able to do it with the people of color simultaneously. Mm. Mm. So all to say, I'm, I'm sharing this story because the ping pong mm. of going back and forth and trying to satisfy both groups wasn't working for me. I was going nuts. And what ended up happening a little too late because it was at the end of the third day, it was the last day. I just sat down and said, you know what? I lost myself in these last three days mm. because in my heart of hearts, my desire is to bring our differences together is to find a way to actually honor our differences and at the same time break out of these tired boxes of black, white, Asian, whatever, and find something else that's more complex, more nuanced mm. that helps us find some sameness as well. Mm. Right. So I want to find an identity that can include a difference but also provides a deeper harmony for us. Mm. And so what I've been seeing the past three days amongst you, the, these participants is that you're actually not interested in that. What you're more interested in is digging your heels into these identities that you know very well. And you're not willing to try different things. And that was the intention of the space. Mm. So having said that, like, if you're not about this, then I'm going to ask you to leave and I'll give you your money back. Wow. Everyone stayed, thankfully, because I would have been broke. But, <laughs> but that moment was a very important moment for me because I found myself and what I was standing for. Mm. Mm. And so when I look at the conflict, this tinderbox in this country, there's nothing to fix from my point of view. Mm. Um, but there, there's a lot of opportunity for us to discover ourselves and what we stand for. Mm. And so for me, it's, 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 and we can talk about that. Cause you can say, I'm, well, I'm just going to stand for being a Republican. Or I'm just going to stand for being a Democrat. Like that's it. Yeah. But for those of us that are interested in like human development and are interested in compassion, are interested in democracy, I think you necessarily have to stand in the gray zone. Mm -hmm. And if you stand in the gray zone, you will transform. Mm -hmm. 
you shouldn't be able to recognize who you were before that conversation. If you actually take that stand, Mm. because we're so polarized, there's a ton of nuance and complexity that's missing. And if you take a stand for maintaining connection in Mm. conversation Mm. and being for each other, which are all the stands that I was advocating for. Mm. And given the book that Kim, Diane and myself wrote compassionate conversations, that's the stand. So if you're interested in your own development, take the stand that will change you, Mm. right? Which I mean, in in really short order is just listen to other people (laughs) and allow yourself to really receive their point of view, to really understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, But so for me as a facilitator and as someone that simply intuits that the situation is more complex than these narratives are communicating. I just see all of the conversations and opportunities for me to grow and, and to transcend my own current understanding to expand the capacity of my own heart to embrace mm-hmm. people as they are, to embrace myself as I am and to be in it together. Mm-hmm. That's it for me. Mm-hmm. So that's my answer to your question. A little long winded, but the point no, is, no, there's nothing to fix man. out there from my point of view. It's yeah, just a lot of material for us to grow. Yeah. That feels in some ways like the most, that's a, as, as sort of compassionate and gentle as that statement is, it also feels really provocative. There's mm-hmm. nothing to fix. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like, I just, like the parts of me that want to fix everything are like, what the, what are you talking about, man? There's so much to fix. Right. But like, I hear you. And and what mm-hmm. I was struck by the the what you called the gray zone, mm-hmm. the sort of to me like the analogy that came through is actually you were describing a group version of the own the the very dynamic you helped us with earlier in the conversation which is to say something's happening in you. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have a lot of awareness of it or way to describe it and that lack of awareness and description just means you're reactive. Totally. Right. And so like, I imagine actually, as you enter into that gray zone, it actually becomes super high, like more high fidelity. There's more color, there's more nuance, Mm -hmm. there's more blending and shifting. It's actually from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, that's the gray zone. I want black, I want white, but actually in that gray is like, we're all the real, Mm -hmm. where, where any access to truth is going to be in there, not over here or not over there. One thing that, that another thing that came up for me is this idea of inheritance, Mm-hmm. which I've been thinking a lot about, which is like, mm-hmm. what is it that we inherit? Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's almost a way in which you have this beautiful group of individuals who individually said, yes, yes to this invitation. But they're all walking in with this, these deep mm-hmm. social and cultural and generational inheritances. And I wonder, I wonder how you relate to that question of like, what am I separate and apart from where I was born or who my, how I was raised or what I imbibed culturally and socially? Like there's all of these things we've inherited from, mm-hmm. from the past that seem to just mm-hmm. keep wanting to move through us, even if we say we're ready to set them down. Mm-hmm. Profound questions you're asking here, Andy. Inheritance is, I've been thinking a lot about that and it connects me more to Diane, particularly through her identity as my Zen teacher. Mm. Mm. Zen represents an inheritance. It's a lineage of people that have been committed to truth, asking the question, what is this? (laughs) What is happening? What is this matter of life and death? It seems important, but is it? Like, let's probe this thing, right? And I presence that to then presence also my other inheritances, which is my dad was born in the United States from St. Louis, Missouri. He's black. His mom and dad are black and they were very active in the civil rights movement. Right. So there's that inheritance. Mm. Um, 
we can also presence like on my mom's side, like her inheritance born in Brazil, European descent. So she's quote unquote, she would fall into the category of white comes from this deep lineage of psychoanalysts, Freudian, right? So coming from that European lineage. Mm -hmm. So there's Zen, there's a civil rights movement, there's therapy. And I think in this day and age, there's a lot of awareness being brought to trauma. Yeah. Right. So we inherit trauma as well. Right. So Resma Menicum is doing a lot of work and has been, but at least in my consciousness, he's in more of the mainstream right now where we also inherit that we inherit patterns of pain. Mm. Right. Mm. In response to pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess my move in response to your question is to acknowledge all of that. Mm. And then to also simply say that if we're going to change and transform, that is to say, if we actually want to step into an experience that we can only know, for example, having a kid just to like hit up the transformative experience, which is like my line of work. To have a kid, there's nothing I could possibly tell you about what the experience is going to be like that'll actually give you a sense of how you're going to transform when it actually happens. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Uh, Same is true for someone that passes away. That's either your partner, your mom, your dad. Like there are certain things that I could tell you what it's like, Mm. but it will literally not inform you one bit about actually Mm. what it's like to go through that for you. Mm. That's a transformative experience. There's Mm. nothing I can tell you about this experience. It's actually going to give you any kind of wherewithal of who you're going to be after you go through it. And so when I look at our inheritances, there's slavery. There's this kind of original sin in this country. And then you look at mass incarceration and you're like, fuck, that's the inheritance right there. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense of like, it's inescapable. It's patterned. Right. I think the transformative experiences are those moments where we actually in that, in that moment, in this moment, right now between you and me is where we free ourselves in that moment, not free ourselves in the sense of ignoring it, but we free ourselves from the logic and the conditioning of it. And we actually realize we're something else as well. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so the inheritance is informing and there is healing to be done. And, I th- and all I want to say is that the healing is done right here, right now. There's a lot of argumentation when I'm in the rooms with the people that I work with. It's, it's a cognitive battle that people are having out around our inheritances mm. and mm. the impact those inheritances are having on this moment. But it's very cognitive jousting. And I th- in my emphasis that I'm trying to draw is that in saying the change happens here in this moment, right now in this room between the intimacy of these individuals in this conflict, that's where we disrupt the pattern. Mm -hmm. We don't disrupt it by like thinking our way out of it. We disrupt it by doing something different Mm -hmm. and taking a risk. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, all I kind of want to say about that in the sense of the possibility inheritance. Yes. Let's be informed by it. Let's also acknowledge it, the beauty and the hard, right. The beauty and the ugly of it. Um, And to infuse the possibility of every moment with some freedom or creativity, that's not burdened by that. Mm. Mm. So that we can actually envision the possibilities of what we can be. Um in this moment. Does that make sense? Oh man. I'm so moved by that. Yeah. The using the word pattern, right? Like it's almost, it's almost like the pattern 
is playing in us physiologically, cognitively, like there's patterns of thought that connect to emotion, that connect to feeling. And it's like this loop. And part of the loop is defending the pattern, actually. Like there's a way in which, there was a way in which the pattern is inviting us to repeat it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're sort of just saying like, well, okay. And the pattern's here on this two-dimensional plane. And just we're three-dimensional or four-dimensional or 10-dimensional. Like you can actually, even if only for a moment, you and I together can step over here. Yeah. We can see the pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's that seeing. It's, that's what I'm tuning into. It's this like invitation to see with more clear eyes and loving eyes what's actually going on as opposed to staying attached to what this, this inherited pattern or habit Absolutely. or whatever wants you to think is going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's actually any of us have access to that at any moment if we're willing to stay in, if we're willing to stay in, right? Like another way I might, and maybe you've already done this work, but as you describe, you said at one point, like I kind of came too late on day three, I did this, made this move Mm -hmm. and said, you know, if you're not into it, go and I'll give you your money back. And and Mm -hmm. I sort of heard in that, like, I wish I made that move on day two or day Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. but if what you're saying now is true, then you made that move when you had the capacity to make it. And it, it was like, so that the process was able to continue and unfold and, totally. and new pat, new awareness of the pattern was available that wouldn't have been available otherwise. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. And that's awesome. So when you, you said there's one thing in particular in all of that you said, which I was really moved by, it was something like, Yes, we are these patterns. We are. We have these inheritances, and we're something else besides. Mm-hmm. There's and you and the gesture you use. People won't see this, but it was like a sort of you had the pattern on one level, like with your mm-hmm. hand flat parallel to the floor, and then you have you put your hand up, mm-hmm. up like a you know hands width higher above it, and you said we're something else besides. Mm-hmm. And 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 I honor that. That's maybe that's something else besides is the space where it's like I can't tell you what it's like to, to have a kid until you have a kid. Yeah, I can't tell you what it's like to lose someone you love until that happens, mm-hmm. but it's a real thing mm-hmm. and you will experience things that you will never ex- have experienced until that moment. Like that's oh. what I'm hearing up here. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that up here is, is also an inheritance that I think we all belong to. Mm. Mm. Um. And it touches into the spiritual traditions in my mind and the truths that they're pointing to, whether it's, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here inside me, right? Or the Buddha, there's the story of his own awakening and he realized that he was one with all things. Like, what is that? Right. Interestingly enough, the advocacy of a lot of these traditions, they have different focuses, but a lot, a lot of them always have a instructions around how to treat others based on those insights. Mm. And I might not, realize that the kingdom of heaven is right here inside me and I'm one with everything. Mm. However, the implications are that you and I are intimately interrelated Mm. that Gabe and Andy is helpful when Andy sends Gabe an email to meet at one spot in time to have a conversation, but let's not get seduced into thinking that that's fundamentally real, that there actually might be something more magnificent happening Mm. right here, right now. That when I say Andy, I know Andy, but what does Andy actually capture? Like when I use that signifier, it can't capture the the strangeness. And I I like the word majesty Mm. of this mutual encountering in this strange experience that we were quote unquote born into. And then we just die. Like what is happening here? Right. So there's a lineage 
that I think points to our fundamental sameness, to our fundamental interconnectedness. And then there are like particular skills, behaviors, ways of engaging each other that whether you have that first person knowing of our interconnectedness, whether you have it or not, mm. if you listen to a person in such a way where you're trying to affirm their humanity, like John Lewis, who passed away, U.S. congressman, who was a juggernaut of the civil rights movement, where his commitment and his training under Martin Luther King was if they beat you, make sure you're safe and, you know, don't like protect yourself, but don't fight back. And when you can compose yourself, should that moment become available to you in the midst of that potential beating or protest or physical violent encounter that you might have with the police, as soon as you can gather yourself, make eye contact with that person that just clubbed you over the head. And the practice there is we're trying to simply connect and stay connected to that person's humanity, right? So whether or not you have an appreciation first person of we're all interconnected, doesn't matter, do that. And the mm. moment that you do that interpersonal injunction of I'm going to maintain eye contact and try to stay connected to this person's humanity, you are literally invoking an inheritance that is, I think, profound and touches many lineages, but it's an inheritance nonetheless. And I think that's the creative potential. Mm. Um, mm. it's the mm. transcending function that we are also, that we also belong to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I never knew that about that training. That's really like my eyebrows went up when you thought mm -hmm. like that is potent. Mm -hmm. And a lot came up for me when you shared that story. One thing I want to underline is just the reminder that that so often when we talk about inheritances, we that's a code word for like trauma and pain and bias and all of it. But also you're just like, remember, we are all also inheritors of deep truths about what's really going on. Yeah, wisdom. And what we really are. Compassion. Like wisdom, yeah, all of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I could imagine myself like being being one of the many civil rights activists whose names we don't know in a moment where I'm taking a stand for something and my body is being harmed as a result mm -hmm. to like, remember that injunction. If you can look them in the eye, mm -hmm. I'm trying right, to like, them. just like, if you can look them in the eye, like I, that's all just like the, the sort of brilliance of mm -hmm. a very concrete, maybe maybe life different like you're you're at the you're facing fight or flight you're like this is scary like just look in the eye mm -hmm. and i could imagine that over the course of the civil rights movement for all of the things we saw on tv and can read in the history books that there were probably hundreds if not thousands of moments where someone did just that in spite mm -hmm. of in spite of it all mm -hmm. and that that shifted something in them and in mm -hmm. and in the person even if that shift didn't happen in, in that moment, that that something was planted, a new inheritance, a new possibility is planted every time one of us has somehow the uh, capacity to like stay in yeah. our humanity and stay in the other person's humanity, even Absolutely. if they've lost that. Absolutely. Oh my God, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So what are, uh, what are, what are your anchors right now? We started, before we started recording, you shared sort of, we had a conversation about just the pandemic and lockdown and, and the ongoing intensity of that. And, and you've alluded a number of times in this conversation about your commitment to, to, to fairness and freedom and to a world that transcends these, the heel digging that we all keep experiencing. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, hell, that's a hell of a lot. That's, a, that's like a big thing to stand for. And I wonder how you, how you're staying anchored and mm -hmm. what you're practicing right now in the midst of it all. Mm. Um, 
there's a part of me that's still seduced. Mm-hmm. And I think in a totally, it's still seduced that like, I need to do something to accomplish something and mm-hmm. AKA fix something. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to just for the listener to go back to that initial comment that I made, like there's nothing to fix. There's plenty of shit to fix. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, there's plenty of things to fix and that will relieve a lot of suffering, right? Whether it's hmm. the prison industrial comp, like there's, I'm not even going to name them, but you can probably think of them yeah. on your own time. Yeah. Um, but there's part of me that's still driven by um, what it feels this is a funny thing to say. It feels like a pressure from outside of myself Mm. when I'm in the mode of like, what should I be doing in Mm. this moment? There's like so much suffering. Mm. (sighs) What should I do? It has like a little bit of guilt in it for me, Mm. but in a conversation with my now fiance, (laughs) congratulations. Thank you, man is she was reading Don Juan. Do you know Don Juan, Carlos yeah. Castaneda? Yeah. Okay. I haven't read any of it yet, but you're like the umpteenth person who's like, yeah, Jim, Don Juan. <laughs> it's a trip. It's a trip. Um, if you're into shamanism, ritual, psychedelics, it's, it's a fun trip of a book. But in that book, Don Juan is this shaman and Carlos is the author and he's kind of apprenticing under Don Juan. And Don Juan says, look, um, all paths, and Carlos is talking about his purpose, right? What's my thing to do? And Don Juan said, all paths lead to nowhere. (laughs) What's most important is for you to choose a path that has heart for you. Mm. And for whatever reason, that freed me up. Where the way I read that is look, we're all going to (laughs) die. So there's this existential real end to things. So like whatever I contribute to will end anyways. So don't get too attached to that outcome. (laughs) However, um, to tune to the path that has heart for you, that enlivens me. It actually makes me a little tender even right now, as I say it, you know? Mm. And so how I've been anchoring myself lately is really tuning. Like, does this have heart for me right now? Mm. You know, Mm. that for whatever reason connects me to an anchor to use that Mm. word. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And when the answer is yes, this has heart for me. Mm-hmm. How do you know that? Um, for me, it's really connected to my heart. Like your physical you know? heart. My physical heart space and emotionally, just that expansive. Mm-hmm. Like expansive chest, embodied, enlivened, mm-hmm. alive. You know, like I'm very intimate with being alive in those moments. Like, wow, like that spark. Have you seen the movie Soul, by the way? I haven't watched the Pixar movie. I really want to. Is it worth worth it? So worth it. Yeah. I'm not giving anything away by saying there are all these souls that are waiting to incarnate. But you only incarnate as a soul once you've uh, experienced your spark. (laughs) Right. And then you can go. Then like, you can go be a person. You can go, be, you can go be a person. Cause you're like, yeah. you want to do that thing that you're meant to do. Have that spark, you know, that spark experience, which is this life. Um, so it just feels like this quality of being alive. And for me, there's a tender heartedness that comes into it, you know? Um, and the tender heartedness is just that there's an intimacy with devoting myself to something that will pass. Mm. And I can like feel myself tear up and it's like, this partnership that I have with my fiance's name is Alana, right. Is um, 
a radical thing in the light of the fact that we're going to die. Right. And so that's when I know, I just know when I get tenderhearted, when I feel deeply invested and also deeply surrendered to the outcome. And these days it, it involves gathering with people as a facilitator, gathering with people and creating with them an experience that is meaningful that actually opens their heart. And I think it opens their heart, whether we're saying it explicitly or not, because the moment will have come and passed as quickly, (laughs) but it was meaningful, you know? Yeah. So for me, I'm really oriented to responding to this desire in me to share and appropriately so in wonder with other people, right? Mm. Welcome to the wonder dome, you know, it's a full circle moment. So yeah, man, I don't know if that answers the question. I just rambled there. Hopefully it did. Oh no, Gabe, that was not a ramble. That was really special. I don't know if you can hear my two, my three-year-old daughter. I'm I'm delighted. Just like, she's just alive. I know, Yeah. And there's a tenderness. So I'm just really in touch to that tenderness. Yeah. Um, And to the radical, like to really, the word radical has been co-op, but like that actually the the beauty of really doing something that is all in, not only in spite of the, the the transitory nature of, of Gabe and Andy and all of it, but also like actually because of it, Mm -hmm. that to, to devote to what's, here now which mm-hmm. by the way all paths lead nowhere could also be read as all all paths lead now exactly here. yeah right to exactly. just devote to that mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yeah. it leaves me wondering what if what if just what if we could create more opportunities for everyone to be on those you know the like the two levels you shared the up here level to have even a glimpse of that mm-hmm. for 90 seconds a glimpse of that yeah. tenderness, that yeah. openness, that, that yeah. heart expansionness. That that was really really touched by that. Totally. And you know, it might be a nice notes to end on, but just that injunction to ourselves and also to the listeners and whoever this conversation touches, all paths lead to nowhere, all paths lead to this moment. Yeah. And every moment this inheritance that speaks to who we can be together, this beloved community, which is how Martin Luther King would state it. Every moment is an opportunity for you to choose that or not. Mm. Mm. And I don't want to moralize the choice. Like, do you, we're all going to die anyways. <laughs> like, let's not get too attached to these outcomes, quote unquote. But should that choice enliven you and the decision to engage in a way that you haven't engaged before with an intimate partner, with a friend, with your neighbor, with the community in a way that is different from the norm. You haven't done it before but it's connected to a desire to be more connected with that person to actually be in deeper relationship and communion with them to understand their world and to be a part of it and for you to be a part of their world and share of yourself. And if that excites you and that path has heart for you, like do it. Mm. Maybe it just requires you to listen a little bit more or Mm. ask a follow-up question, Mm. or it might be a little bit more assertive and say, Hey, feel like I've been doing a lot of listening. Can I share a little bit of my own experience, Mm. right? It just might Mm. be a simple interpersonal Mm. gesture, like eye gazing, Mm. but all of these are little choices that we make moment to moment and they enact different worlds around you. So it's really up to you. If that path has heart for you, like by all means, I'll I'll see you on the path, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the perfect spot to land. Thank you, Gabe. This has been really special. Yeah, man. Appreciate yeah. you. If uh, people listening, I'll share all the all the the goodness about you. But just for someone in this moment, if they want to 
lean a little bit deeper into the work you're doing in the world, where would you like to send them? Where should they find you? Yeah. I mean, compassionate conversations is the place uh, that I'd encourage people to go. Compassionateconversations.com. That'll take you to the book. That'll also take you to some online offerings. Mm. Um, We did a 10 week course. We, me, Kim, Diane, we offered a 10 week course, which was a lot of fun practice oriented. So it's a place where it's on zoom. So we figured we cracked that nut, how to do it on zoom. And it's a place where you can practice, take risks interpersonally, get coaching, get feedback, do it again. Um, so it's fun. It's fun. And the frame that we put on it. And I, th- I think we delivered, I'll humbly say, I think we delivered on that, which is, you know, we're, we're there also having, the meaningful conversations that we want to have in our lives. Mm. And we're bringing mm. it to a bunch of strangers that at the end of the day, the end of 10 weeks are no longer strangers, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, the book's fantastic. I really hope people check it out. It does serve for me as an anchor mm. to be reminded that there, it's not impossible to have a conversation around an issue that feels really scary or feels yeah. really important and one-sided like that's actually possible your book serves as as one very important example or evidence of that truth that is possible so thank you for that thank you yeah all right everyone thanks for listening in thanks for tuning into the wonder dome this podcast was produced by me andy cahill with support from kelly Sirqua and audio editing services from john nolan at middle mountain studios The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.